0: Reading this morning is John chapter 4, verses 1-6, page 1066 of the Church Bible, and clear in the streets. Jesus talks with the Samaritan man. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptising more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptised. Back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Circle. Near the present ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? The Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So the woman said, a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, "Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water." He told her, "Go, find your husband and come back." "I have no yes. husband," she replied. Jesus said to her, "You are right when you say you have no husband. Fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband." What you have just said is quite true. Sir so the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you claim but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. The salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now an come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For well, they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. The Lord is Spirit and his worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, for Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I the one speaking to you. I am he. Wonderful. Please take your seats, guys. Thank you so much for leading us, seeing those
1: wonderful trees to one another this morning. Debbie, thank you for helping me speak as well about that idea of uh, wild goose chase. Do you know where that phrase comes from? Wild well, Beauty Chase, anyone has it a guess no. what the sort of origin of that phrase is? Well, what do you think? Yeah, maybe that. Yeah, maybe that. I was looking at it this week. I wonder if it might be Shakespeare. Sounds something that Shakespeare might have written, doesn't it? It's actually a contemporary. Um, there's a 1593, there was an English poet called Gervase Markham. I knew nothing about, know nothing about. He wrote a book on horsemanship on a wild goose chase. It was a horse race. We're because they were in that pocket all the time. There's a sort of the bother at the end of the day. A wild goose chase. We're we're looking at this series in John's Gospel. We've been looking at it together for a few weeks now. We've called it Life to the Full. We've called it Life to the Full. That's the sort of header for it. And so the question really is can we expect that? Should we be expecting a life that is lived to the full? Is it something that's even possible, even attainable, that life full of peace and satisfaction and joy and uh, happiness? Is it something that is possible, or is it something that we're always destined to be chasing after and, and maybe think for a minute or two: oh, I've almost got it, i almost had it, life seems to be going okay, only for it to sort of slip through our fingers or be dashed. From our grasp, is it even possible The picture as we look at these early sections of John's eyewitness account, the life of this man Jesus, it's building week by week. We've had this section and we've been following Jesus, particularly in Jerusalem in the last couple of weeks. Um, In his early ministry, we've been trying to figure out who he is, why he came, what's he saying, what's he doing, what does that tell us about him? you have had that amazing section in the middle of chapter 3 where he makes it very clear why he's come. God so loved the world. These are probably some of the most famous verses from the whole of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Salvation has come, Jesus. And it's available for... Anybody and everybody, anyone who comes to Jesus will not perish but have eternal life. That's what John says is the whole point of his book. We'll get there, chapter 10. He talks about having life, life to the full. And at the end of the book, John says that's why he's written it, so that we might believe and have life. And now as we come to chapter 4, the audience, the venue shifts up the road a bit verses 1-4, Jesus learns the Pharisees at earth that he was gaining and baptising all the disciples than John, although Jesus didn't baptise, the disciples actually did the act. So Jesus leaves Judea, the heat is on. Um, Jesus' increasing popularity with the people raises his notoriety with the religious leaders of his day. We were thinking last week, trying to think about that phrase John had about how Jesus must increase, I must decrease, he must become greater, I must become less. And that's what's happening. And Jesus takes the heat out of it and goes to Judea to go to Galilee. And he had to go through Samaria. But put me into the detail. Let's just pan back through it. It's really helpful just to remind ourselves of the order. John has recorded things here for us. Okay? So for the heart of that little section, we've got this phrase saying, the reason Jesus has come. God so loved the world that he sent his son, that whoever believes in him had eternal life. It's worked out for us. It's still illustrated for us. With the brackets of two personal encounters, two individuals who Jesus meets. Nicodemus, we looked at a couple of weeks ago, we're gonna do chapter three today. This woman in the world, what's happening? It's really worked examples to show us that everybody needs Jesus. And anybody can find life in him. Everybody and anyone. Just think about it for a minute. Nicodemus is a man, he's a Jew. He's named, we know a bit about him, he's a religious insider, he's an expert in the law, he's somebody who's got his life together, and he's all sorted, he's a moral role model, people around would have looked up to him, and I want to be like him. He's a seeker after the truth, for him, life wasn't enough, he was somebody who went seeking after Jesus, he went at night time, and with all of those benefits, of all of that going on, that you think were, were in credit, all of those says, you still can't clear the bar without me. You still need me. And then this morning, we going to a woman who's her opposite. She's a woman, which was a big deal in that culture. A Samaritan, that's a big deal culturally as well. She's not named She's anonymous. She's a false worshiper. She's involved in, in this uh, Samaritan worship of God, which is looked down on. She's ignorant. She's not well-learned. She doesn't understand things. She's not a moral role model, she's an immoral outcast, she's despised, her life has fallen apart. She's indifferent, really, as we read through these verses, and life, certainly not good altogether, life is hard. And yet, Jesus seeks her. She comes in the daytime, noon, it was the middle of the day, the sun's at its highest point, and with all of those perceived barriers to eternal life, everything's stacked against her. Jesus says, you can find life in me as well. Everybody and anybody can come. It doesn't matter this morning what your background is. It doesn't matter whether you've been brought to church every week since you were a babe in arms. Every single religious background that is represented here, you know, that kind of good moral life and people think you've got it all together, you still need Jesus. And if your background is one of, you think, you don't know what I've done, so you don't know what my life looked like before I walked into this building. It might be you walked into this building for the first time this morning. The wonder of this passage today that we're going to see is, in Jesus you can find someone. Anybody and everybody can come. So what about this woman? Is she on a wild goose chase? Is this life to the full going to elude her? What do we learn? What does she learn? Well, the first thing is this. It's that you can't run on empty. I was at a conference this week on Thursday, four of us, Martin and John and Graham, myself and the leaders of the church, were at a conference in uh, Wimbledon in South West London and a uh, great conference, an amazing day, really, really helpful day. We left just as Rush Hour was building uh, in early evening and that route from Wimbledon is straightforward, you've got to come down the A3 and around the M25 and back home up to Bedford and uh, just Probably hadn't driven more than about a quarter of an hour, I was driving, I knew this was going to happen, because I keep an eye on things, this happened. Ooh, too far. Can you go back to that? So I'll stop doing this. You get me to the dial, that'd be great. Um, ping, Ooh, Is that me? there we go, thank you Mark, sorry my fault. Never for children animals and technology. The thing went Ping? The thing goes ping, and you're immediately, you've got dilemma, haven't you? Ah. My dashboard tells me we've got 50 miles in the tank. Google Maps is telling me we've got 80 miles to travel. And you very quickly learn something about the character of your colleagues in a moment like that. Because one of us, let's say he was the driver, and thought, Toddington Services, 50 miles, I can do that, I can do that, we'll be all right, we can get there. The other three suggested that this probably wasn't such a good idea and that getting stopped by the sun of the M25 and breaking down in the rush hour because your tank's empty wasn't a great move. So we did, we stopped and filled up. You can't run an empty, we know that, don't you? You can't run on empty. Jesus has to travel through Samaria, that's what we're told, the beginning of verse 4. It's the most direct route to go from south to north, from Jerusalem to Galilee. He could have gone on a detour, but th- this is the most direct route. And, obviously, he needs to meet this woman. He has to go through Samaria that day. It's about 30 miles up the road from Jerusalem on his journey. And he comes to this town called Sychar. He came to a town called Samaria called Sychar, verse 5. And then there's some history about this place. They knew that there's a plot of ground there that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. And Jacob dug a well there. the would tell us that he dug it. Uh, Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. He arrives at Sychar in the middle of the day, blazing hot sunshine. The disciples go off in the next verse to Greg's to get lunch and bring that back. And it's faking hot they sit by the well. He's dusty. Jesus is dirty. He's hungry. He's thirsty. He's tired. But he's there to meet someone. He's there to meet this outcast, who has all these symptoms of emptiness and unhappiness. He asked her for a drink. Will you give me a drink? And she says, what are you about? You're joking. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. Why do you asking me for a drink? And then the brackets, John puts in for us, just to help us understand, Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, this isn't just a north south divided thing. Right? This isn't just sort of the Geordies versus the rest of the world. This isn't the red half of the city versus the blue half of the city. This is much deeper than that. This is much deeper historical, religious, racial divide. Never mind the gender thing that sits down, Samaritan woman. This is a culture where a Jewish rabbi wouldn't even approach his own wife, his own sister, his own daughter in public because of how it would look. It was scandalous. And this Jesus, who had to go through Samaria that day, taking a risk, going out on like, him, sitting at the side of the well, to meet this woman It's remarkable. And he takes the imagery that we can relate to, physical imagery, which Jesus does so brilliantly <laughs> to help us understand something spiritual. He takes something physical, and we learn something spiritually from it. It's easy to understand what he's saying. We all need water. We don't need enough water, even in our moderately temperate climate very quickly we get dehydrated and and get seriously ill. We have it easy, we just go to the tap and we pour ourselves a glass of refreshing water that's not going to do you any harm, it's going to do you good. Something a quarter of the world's population cannot say. Even today, we get a glass of cool, refreshing water to quench our thirst. But drawing water then was a significant deal, it was a big deal. Day after day, morning and evening, day after day, to get enough water to satisfy the thirst of your own, your own body, but never mind your family, your, your livestock, your household, it would have been a constant chore to go to the well and draw a game. But Jesus goes on and says, if you knew the gift of God, who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you the new water. He says, well, you know that you've got nothing to draw with. The well's deep. You've got a You've got a bucket. How do you get the water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well in the first place? Everyone who drinks this water, Jesus says, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks what I'm going to give you, the water I give you, will never thirst. The water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The spiritual reality that Jesus is trying to point to is, 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 is of a refreshing life-giving, never-ending stream of living water. Not even a a well, but a spring. Something that wells up from within that satisfies those deepest longings of your heart. But she doesn't get it yet. Verse 15. She's still thinking physically. She says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back every day, that same old chore, to draw the water from the well again. So Jesus does something quite remarkable. The simple question he digs right in to the sink of the longing in her heart the depths of the longing and the isolation of the longing that she feels. go and bring your husband. I'm Robert he says you're right, you're fine and the guy you're living with now, he's not you've said the right thing, you haven't got it brilliantly he exposes the depths of our to the empty star. Think about it for a minute. What has got this dear woman to this point where she's been with five husbands and now is living with a sixth man? Has she been widowed five times? I mean, that would be tragic, but wouldn't that be? and that sort of fulfilling marriage relationship, it just ends again and again and again. Could it be that? Could it be that she's been divorced five times? time? She wouldn't have had the, the uh, rights of divorce. She had no legal rights as a woman. Not in that culture. She had no power. So was she perhaps the victim of a string of abusive men in that part of the world who, who just used her while she was pretty and and, and, and of Attractive to them. But the minute they saw a better model, they just discarded her, abused her, and dumped her, and left her on the scrap even. She just had that happen to her time and time again. Is that it? See the sadness of this woman's situation. Or has she been divorced five times, and she's to blame? Is she just a serial marriage wrecker? Is she somebody who the women knew that once she had her eye on your man, there was trouble? Because she went from bed to bed to bed to bed bed around that little village of Sarko. I think there's a hint in the passage that it might be something to do with that. Why else would a woman come in the middle of the day, at noon, in the heat of the day, to draw water? That was something that you did communally. It's where you went to hang out and just catch up with the news and and what's going on in other people's lives. You belong at the well. And they do that morning and evening when it's cool. That's where community happens. And here she is going in the middle of the day, basically saying, I don't belong. I don't belong. We don't know. Not for sure, it may have been a combination of all of those things. But you sense, don't you? do you? feel it, the longing, the ache in this dear woman's heart. She goes lonely and is surprised by this man who will talk to her at the world. It's easy to relate, isn't it? That idea of running on empty. If we were to into all of our hearts, all of our lives here this morning, we can relate to that. Maybe for some of you, it is just as significant as enduring today. I'm running on fumes, I'm not sure how much more I can give. If I just get through today, that'll be a bonus. Jesus has come to say he sees you, he understands, and he's got something to offer you. Or are you, is it emotionally and, and relationally where that loneliness and that longing wells up within you? It's easy to be so. And it's easy to be so even in a committed relationship, even in a, a healthy family. You can be lonely in church with like this with members all around you. You can be lonely in the workplace with, with people kneeling around Every time this woman has opened her heart up and was vulnerable with another man, it's ended in disaster for whatever reason. Right for the same morning, you have nobody to go find it, nobody to laugh with, nobody to share your life with, open up your heart to side, really urge you to come and join us in the evening. Six o'clock isn't your habit. Come and join us at six. John's put together a really, really incredibly helpful series of some of these ideas, some of these topics around friendship. Get back on the YouTube channel, look back through them, get here tonight to see them, because it's just so helpful. But back in the context of our passage, Jesus says, I see you, I understand, and I've got something to offer. If you add in the complexities of life and the, the, the experiencing unkindness or injustice in, in some way, that you look inside, most of us at some point, there's that sense of emptiness. Or well, just maybe it's something you feel spiritually, an emptiness, spiritually, you long for something more. Maybe she didn't know God, she didn't know him personally, intimately, she had some understanding, some framework, because she asked questions, and she told that thing at the end about, I know something about the Messiah. Are you somebody who is empty spiritually? Maybe you've come to church for years, for decades. But what you've settled for is so optimal. You've settled for something less than what is really offer. You've settled for some form of religious activity, because it's just what you do, because it's a duty that you feel you, you ought to be there. But you've set up second best, or Jesus says, I see you, and I've got something so much more to offer you. If that describes you in any way, shape, or form this morning, I've got good news. I've got good news for you, but I need you to do two things for me. First is this. You need to accept the gift. Christmas. What is it else? Christmas, four weeks tomorrow. Four weeks Tuesday, it'll be out. Four weeks tomorrow is <laughs> Christmas Day. <laughs> what do you do, boys and girls, to receive a present? How do you receive a present, like a present for you? Who would like a present? If you're under 16, who would like a present? carrot she'll hand it up very fast. Would you like a present? Do you, a, do you want a present? What do you have to do to get a present? You have to come. Come on then. You have to trust me when I say this is for you. Don't you? you have to believe that I say this is for you. And then what do you have to do? You have to take it. Simple as that, isn't it? There you go. Spend wise. If you like to buy your favourite parser or coffee at any point, then absolutely fine. What do you do? You believe that what's on offer is yours for the taking, and you just put out your hand and you accept it, you take it. We make it too complicated sometimes, don't we? If you knew the gift, Jesus says in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God, and who is it that asked you for a drink, you'd have asked him and he would have given you living water. The problem is this, that we think we know better, souls solves the hills. This is a quote from the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, this is God's word to his people way back then. My people have committed two sins, he says, they've forsaken me the spring of living water and above their own systems, broken systems, that cannot hold water. We keep looking elsewhere. We keep digging systems to try and satisfy ourselves, but they leak. They're never going to hold water. They're just going to let it ebb and flow away. The answer to our emptiness is staring us in the face. And we look elsewhere. We can't see it. She can't see it, not yet. Uh, She's distracted. She's busy. She still thinks Jesus is talking about physical water. uh, And she says, you know, give me this water so I don't have to keep coming back in verse 15. She's preoccupied with who she is and, and what's going on in the past, isn't she? There's this outcast, this lonely woman drawing water, and she's in danger of missing it. She's in danger of missing the gift. We're not going to criticise, criticized, are we? If you're a Christian believer, if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, if you're anything like me, we miss it so often, don't we? We rush through our day. When do we have a pause just to drink deeply? When do you think, oh, I'm too busy today, I'll skip my Bible reading, I'll just pray quickly in the car on the way to work. whatever it is. We skip through things. We don't slow down and drink deeply, do we? How many blessings do we miss or do we postpone because we're not sitting at the well and allowing it <laughs> to well up within us? It's a real danger for those of you who haven't yet tasted it. Do you know that gift of God? Can you see it yet? Don't miss it. Some of you, you've been here longer than I have. I've been here 20-odd years at this church. This church some of you have been coming longer than me. And you're not drunk yet. She's got this framework, some sort of understanding, a little bit of knowledge about whether worship should have been here or there, or this man Messiah is coming. She's got this sort of head knowledge. Maybe that's really you. She got the Old Testament, they the Samaritans have the, the first five books of the Bible's their they're sort of their scriptures, if you like. They only had part of it, partially understood it. Maybe for you you've got impressive head knowledge. If I gave you a Bible quiz this morning, you could tick all the boxes, you get all the answers in the right order, but you've never yet slowed down enough. Ask God, accept the gift, to allow that knowledge to go 18 inches from your head to your heart. Don't keep going back to the systems that we've for ourselves. The relational, or the financial, the physical, or the emotional hits that we look to to satisfy. And they're just going to leak. They're good things. Many of them in God's goodness and his kindness. They're good things that mean so much to us. But eventually, they'll just leave you thinking, is that it? Is that all there is? And you might not get all your answers right away. She didn't, did she? She doesn't get it fully yet. She's still questioning. But she knows enough. We're going to see in this next section as Martin comes next week to speak to us. Verse twenty eight. She's gone back to the village and says, Come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. could this be the Messiah? She knows enough. She knows enough to go and tell other people about it. She hasn't got it all figured out yet. You may not have it all figured out. Yet. Come and drink. And you don't need to get your act together either. There's no judgment from Jesus with this deal woman, is he, he, he probes and, and prods and, and brilliantly exposes her sin. He doesn't then say, right, what I need you to do is go back and sort out your relationships. I don't, he doesn't say, I need you to go back and sort out your marriage and figure out who you're married to. And there's none of that from Jesus. There's common drink. You don't need to sort your life out. Can't drink. There's an 18th-century hymn writer a man called Joseph Hart who's written a hymn that's starting to make a bit of a comeback various bands and people are reworking it come you sinners, poor and wretched weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready, stands to save you <laughs> full of pity joined with power, and here's the line in that hymn, so powerful it's as if you tarry till you're better you will never come at all don't delay come and drink accept the gift and thirdly, worship the giver worship together. Verse 19 puzzled me a bit, and still does to a degree, um, but here's what I think. Okay, She asked the question, Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. You Jews say that God will go there and worship on that mountain. There's Gerizim for them in Samaria, Jerusalem, it's Mount Zion. Why has she suddenly gone from this discussion on water to this question about worship? Where's that come from? seems a bit left field, doesn't it? the commentators that I read, and I've looked at those this week, they seem equally baffled, to be honest. Um, they sort of say things like, uh, I think she's deflecting Jesus' questioning. She's obviously been found out, that, and there's been a deflection going on to try and get him off the subject of her love life, which is clearly uncomfortable. Now, there may well be some of that in. But Jesus doesn't answer her with a yes or no. When she says, you, we, we were told we should worship here, you Jews claim we should worship there. is coming when you worship the father neither here nor there a the time is coming and has now come, come in verse 23 when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth the time is coming that phrase we hear a lot in john we heard it a couple of weeks ago at canaan as the wedding feast went wrong when there was no wine and they asked uh, jesus to provide the wine and he says mum well, he was talking to his father well, mum my, my time hasn't yet come now the time coming, and the time now is where people will worship in spirit and truth. And God will actively, that's what it he says here, isn't it? God seeks, the Father seeks these kind of worshipers, actively goes after people like this to worship him in spirit and truth. He had to go through scenario. He's seeking out this dear woman. And I think there's more to it. See, there are so many barriers, aren't there? So many barriers. Not least there's confusion around religion and worship anyway this isolated and ashamed and hidden and nameless woman in our passage, meets Jesus, hears about this living water, and goes by God's grace to become a chosen and freed and fully known sinner who is fully loved and becomes a daughter of God. What do you do with that? You experience such a change. What does she do with that? I think there's more of that in her heart. When I make my sacrifice, where do I go and what do I do with this? How do I respond? And Jesus says, You don't need to go and make a sacrifice because I will. As he goes to the cross, we'll see in chapter 19 when we get there. His first words from the cross, I'm thirsty. Jesus went to the cross and endured raging, dehydrating thirst as he died on the cross for you,
0: so that you need never thirst
1: again. He knows you. He sees you. He's come for you. God is actively seeking out those who worship Him. It's no coincidence that you're here listening to this message this morning. True worship, as you see, it's not about rituals, it's not about places or traditions, it's about the person of God who's seeking the kind of worshippers to come in spirit and truth. Those who have drunk the water, that's the spirit within us. He gives us his spirit, dwells within us as we become his sons and daughters. That wells up and satisfies those of us who have been born again like Nicodemus. Those of us who have sin exposed, painful as that may be for any of us. And yet, one at one and the same time, find ourselves loved and cherished and welcomed. We find acceptance in Christ. We've received God's spirit. We become his sons and daughters so much. She might have been confused about water and about worship, even about who this man was. Verse 25, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. She knows that she needs Jesus. She's clear on that, isn't she? This man is coming. We need him. So Jesus replied, lovely. Very end of the passage, Jesus declared, I the one speaking to you. I am here. I am here. I was here all along. We're just going to explain everything that she thought, but solve everything, satisfy everything, supply every need. Are you serious yet? Life in the full. Is it a wild goose chase? Is it just something that creatures talk about, but actually we're never really going to experience? No, of course, grace by the work of His Spirit in your heart will life, it can be an experienced reality here, now, story. If only you accept the gift, we wish you to give it. You don't need to keep running on empty. You don't need to keep going on feuds. You just need to come and drink. You just need to ask. So I pray, as I invite the band back up, uh, to come and lead us again in our closing song. Should we pray together? Father in heaven, we thank you for this wonderful little picture of the heart of our Father. The people like us who so often go after the wars in our own systems, dig those broken systems and are surprised when the things that we go after don't satisfy and don't uh, supply our longing and our needs as we perhaps expect them to. Whatever that might be, for each of us, it'll be different. But we thank you that a passage like this gives us hope that once we all need Jesus, any of us can find him. Forgive us. Help us to come even this morning and drink deeply of the living water that you provide. And help us, even as we sing now, to worship. I pray that no one would miss this this morning. They would see clearly by your Spirit who you are and why you've come for your glory, we pray. Standing, (laughs) Expanding as you stand to worship.